Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. Now we're in a series where we're actually talking about church and we're asking the questions, why church? And it's been a, uh, you know, talking to someone this morning saying it's been a, a really good series to kind of ask those questions. Why do we even come to church? Why are we part of the church? And uh, hopefully you're, you're getting some, some thought-provoking questions, some things that you're, you're starting to solidify in your heart, what church is about, why we do this, who we are as a people. And um, we're going to continue on. Next week, I want to just put it out there, next week the service is going to look quite different. We're going to be uh, having a, a bit of a worship-flavored service as we ask the question, why worship? A lot of our time... Uh, we spend as Christians is, is around music. Music plays a big part in worship and our spiritual formation. And so we're going to spend some time worshipping together and kind of moving through the patterns of worship. So it's going to be a bit different. Come early, come ready. Uh, we might have a bit of a different setup in here, but I uh, encourage you to that. Now, I want to ask a question. I need some help this morning. Uh, everybody's probably got this in their home especially if you've moved into a house recently, you've probably got an area where it's not quite finished. Or there's a project in your home that you've been working on, but it's not quite finished yet. Am I the only one? You've got a room that's got like junk in it, and you're like, I'm going to get to that soon, but just not yet. We've got projects that, that you know, you started like six months ago that just aren't finished yet. Only six months. So here's what I want help with. What is an acceptable amount of time to leave a project unfinished? Help me. What do we say? You've started a project. You've begun something. How long? What's the acceptable amount of time to leave that without finishing it? Are we saying a month? A week? I'd be in big trouble if I had a week timeline. What are we saying? What's the two months? Never finish it. It doesn't matter if it gets finished. Oh, the Ellenbrook Shopping Centre, uh, the front door of the Ellenbrook Shopping Centre. I don't know what happened. Someone must have kicked the glass or something. It's been broken for like three or four weeks. I was like, are they going to finish it? Are they going to fix that at any time? But, you know, if you move into a house, you've got like stuff that's a project that's unfinished. What's an acceptable amount of time to leave it? A couple of weeks, a couple of months. There's no real answer to that, is there? But most of us have got stuff in our lives that are unfinished, things that we started but haven't got around to. And that's the old catchphrase, isn't it? I'm going to get to it. I just haven't got around to it yet. I was, you know, thought, uh, this thought came to me a while back when I was, uh, went to someone's house and they were showing me around the house and went out to their backyard. I don't think they're in church today. <laughs> went to their backyard and they had started to build some decking out the back. And... Um, They'd half finished this decking. And I was like, oh, that's you know, interesting. You kind of got, got halfway there. And they're like, yeah, well, yeah, when we moved in, we started building it, but we just didn't get around to it. You know, I'm going to get around to it at some point. I'm going to get around to it. And uh, what I saw was the decking finished, but then they had built the frame for the next. And then we're, as we're, we're out there, the kids come out and they start playing in the sand. And they're like, you know, we don't need to finish it because it's become a sand pit for the kids. I was like, well, that's a great way of looking at it. 
But, but does that not happen sometimes where we, we start something off and we don't get to finishing it? Or we start a project, but we're going to get around to it, but we don't get around to it. And because we don't get around to it, we adapt to it. We kind of live with it. We let it become what it was, was never really intended to become, but uh, we, we just accept it and say, I'll get to it sometime. Maybe that room's just going to get filled with junk, but I'll get to it sometime. But for now, it's the junk room. We title it. We allow it. We accept it. We say that this is normal. But we've got to finish it. At some point in time, you've got to finish it. I ask this question because when I ask the question about why church, we've been given a project. We've been given a mission. Do you know that the church is a missional community? We have been given a commission where Jesus said, go into the world, preach the gospel, make disciples. And I wonder how long we're going to leave it until we get around to it. Sometimes I kind of think, uh, you know, we, we understand Jesus has called us to go into the world, to make disciples, to reach people, to love people. But it's like, uh, I can just adjust life to say like that. That's, you know, I'll get to that when time comes. But for now, I don't have time. I don't have the heart. But Jesus has called us to go into the world. Why church? You know, the church is on this earth not only for our own benefit. We don't exist just for ourselves. The church is a missional community. That means that we have been given a mission. We've been given a great commission. But the great commission has in many places become the great omission. Where we've kind of left it out. And we've got on with the business of doing church, getting together, which is important, gathering together, important. But we can't forget that we're here for a purpose. We're here to reach the world, to preach the gospel, to go into all nations, make disciples. And if we as church aren't fulfilling that commission, guess what? No one else is going to do it. There is no backup plan Jesus doesn't have a plan B it's not like he's got another group of people that if the church says well you know we're not we're not fulfilling that mission that he's going to then say well I'll go and get these people here he has given the commission he's called us to go to make disciples of all nations Jesus himself was the sent God we read about it in I was reading through John's uh, gospel account he says, as the Father has sent me, that phrase, he says over 20 times in John's account, if you read through it, as the Father has sent me, and then in John 20, 21 through to 23, he says, as the Father has sent me, so send you. Because Jesus was the sent God, and he is also the sending God. The Father sent the Son to reach the world, to bring back into relationship with him, empowered by the Spirit. And then the Son sends the church into the world to reach the world for Him, empowered by the Spirit. He is the sent God, and He is the sending God. So if you are part of the church, guess what? You've got a job to do. You've got work to do. We've got a mission that we're called to, to fulfill the Great Commission. But the Great Commission becomes, uh, when, when the Great Commission becomes our great omission, we miss it, then we, we find the not-so-great decommission. 
we had to get rid of some air conditioning units. And you know what? They wouldn't get rid of them without decommissioning them. They had to cut them off from their service, get rid of the stuff that was inside of them so they'd be decommissioned. There are times when I feel like the church has kind of decommissioned itself. We've taken ourselves out of the mission, out of the game. And, and in this season, in a time when, when light is needed more than ever before, we've got to come back to the purpose of why we're on this earth. If you're still on this earth, God has not finished with you. And you have work to do. He's got something for you to do. And it's not about experience either. We see that, that throughout history, people come to know Jesus. They encounter Jesus. And guess what? Straight away, you're part of the team. You respond to him as he has come to save you. And then you become part of his rescue mission for this world. You don't have to, to sit in church for 15 years, tick all the boxes. Straight away, you're part of that. Straight away, you're in the game. Straight away, you're on the mission. And we've got to remember that's why we exist. That's why we're on earth. Why do we come together for fellowship, for worship, to, to glorify God, to praise God, to encourage each other, to charge each other, to, to encounter Jesus, but then to go? Because the church gathers, but the church must also scatter. And I feel like God is saying, don't let the church be decommissioned. We've got to be about the great commission. Be about what he is saying. Why are we here? Because there's work to do. Because he's doing something in this community. Jesus is at work. And he's called us to be a part of that. And your experience might be, you know, I've just come in off the street. I've only just encountered Jesus. Maybe you've been in church for 20, 30 years. God is not finished with you. There is stuff that he wants to do in you and through you. Why church? Can we, can we remember this? It's not just about us. It's not about the building. It's not just about the, the gathering together. It's about us being empowered by the Spirit of God to go into the world. We come together and then we go. We come and we go. And I think we can get sidetracked and distracted by the thought that that church becomes more about seeding capacity than about our sending capacity. I reckon Jesus is more interested in the, in the church's ability to send people than to seat people. To come in and sit down on a Sunday. Uh, your seat is, I'm going to say, your seat is reserved, but... You're not allowed to sit there forever. We can't be seated Christians. We are centered, been sent. And so every time we come into this space, remember that we're leaving this place because your Christianity, your faith is not contained to a Sunday. I reckon God wants to be as included and involved in your Monday, your Tuesday, your Wednesday, your Thursday, your Friday, your Saturday that he is in your Sunday. We can't contain him to a couple of hours on a Sunday where this is my spiritual place and, and, and not see that he wants to move in all of your week. We, we create this divide. The sacred is here on the Sunday and the secular is over there. But in God's mind, it's all sacred. And he wants to work in all of it. Your Monday, your mundane, he wants to work through all of it. So why are we here? Because we've got work to do. Because God has called us to reach this community. God has called us to, to, to reach out into this community, to preach the gospel, to tell people about him, to love people practically, to, to show that he is real, that he cares. 
And I feel like this morning, I don't even have notes. But I feel like I'm just going to stir a bit up so that we can't sit here without thinking, I've got to get out there. I've got to get out there and do something. I've got to get, get involved in what Jesus is doing. I'm going to open up in the Bible. It's a good place to, to open when you're preaching. In um, Acts chapter 3, and this passage of Scripture got me uh, a couple of weeks back, and I've sat on this for, for a few years, this particular picture, because I see in it that, that, that what took place in um, the book of Acts is we see the formation of the church. So you want to look at where the church started? We go back to Acts. Acts chapter 1, Jesus speaks to his disciples, and he says to them, wait here in Jerusalem, wait here, I'm going to send the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is going to come and He is going to give you power to what? Have good church services. No. To what? To go out and be my witnesses. So He says, wait for the power, wait for the Spirit to come and then you're going to go. In Acts chapter 2, we see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We see the Spirit of God fall upon man, filled with the Spirit and then at the end of Acts chapter 4, Two, we see that the church community starts to form. So they're filled and then the church forms. And then in Acts chapter 3, we see that the church starts to go on mission. The church starts to move. The church starts to, to they do gather, they come together, but then they're also on mission. And we see that the apostles, the disciples, whoever it was that was following Jesus, wherever they went, they carried the, the message of Jesus with them. It wasn't just, hey, come to the temple. Hey, come to church. It was we're going out as the church. So Acts chapter 1, wait for the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit's going to give you power. Power for what? Power to be my witnesses. Acts chapter 2, filled with the Spirit. We see there that as they're filled with the Spirit, they start to flow. They start to move. They don't stay. They start to get out and take the message. Then in Acts chapter 3, we start to see this take place. So Acts chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Peter and John were in the temple one afternoon. Well, sorry, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man who had been lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg for, from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John are moving toward the temple. They're going to the place where they're going to be praying. At the very same time that they're moving to the temple, there's this man who is lame. He can't walk. And he's being carried to the gate of the temple, the gate that, that Luke addresses, uh, calls the, the gate called beautiful. And he's placed there day in, day out to beg for money. It's his way of living. It's his way of making income is that he is put in this position in front of this gate at the temple where it's called the gate called Beautiful to beg for money. And that's quite a strategic place to be, to be put because the Jewish people had been instructed, commanded to, to give alms, to give uh, gifts of, of, of donations of finances to the poor. So what a great place to put yourself where there's going to be a whole heap of Jewish people coming to worship so that they can give to you. Strategic location. He was put in the right place. But what gets me about this passage is that we have this place called the temple. And outside of the temple is this place called the beautiful gate. And I've got a picture of that beautiful gate. Uh, it's obviously not the photo from the place. Have you got it there? 
And it was called the beautiful gate because it was beautiful. It was made, they said that there was like arrangements of gold and silver on this gate. It was like this beautiful place right in front of the temple. And every day right in front of this place called beautiful, this beggar sits. And he sits and he asks for money. And as I was reading it just in the last couple of weeks, it it stuck with me again that the church can have this beautiful place and right outside on the doorstep is brokenness. And for years, people walked past on their way to worship while this man sat and begged. And in the same time, at the same place, you got this picture of beauty and brokenness. And it kind of upset me because I'm like, they're so, they're so enamored with the, the beauty of the temple, with the, the beauty of the place, but they miss the brokenness of humanity, which is right outside the door. And I wonder at times if we as the church can, can get so, you know, so enamored with our own space that we forget that on the way here this morning, you passed houses with people who don't know Jesus. Yeah, we get captivated, man. Our church is growing. We're seeing people come to know Jesus. Awesome. But you know what? There's 50,000 people in Ellenbrook. The job's not finished. There's still people that don't know Jesus. You drove past more people this morning that don't know Jesus than are in this room. And they have this beautiful place and this beautiful gate where they've invested so much into and brokenness right next to it. I question at times, why, how, how can it be possible that the church is in so many locations and there's still so much brokenness? But what's inside of the temple is meant to spill out into the streets and affect and change and bring transformation. Not to be contained to the building. Not to be contained to our house, our home but to spill out, to flood the streets so that the broken find healing, so that the broken find restoration. And I read it again this, even this yesterday, and I'm like, man, there is the temple, and so many people are walking to worship, and this man sits there. But on this day, his strategic location intersected God's divine purpose. And he calls out to, the, to them, he says to them, when Peter and... When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. He called out to them. He cried out to them, can I have some cash? And it says in verse 4, Peter and John looked at him intently. And Peter said, look at us. The, that's pretty gangster. The lame man looked at them, at them eagerly expecting some money. So he got their attention and then he's, Peter's like, well, look at us. And he's expecting that they're going to give him some money. Got, got their attention, give them some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I'll give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Let me just outline something here that, that is so simple, but is so profound in itself. We do not have silver and gold, so we can't give it to you. You cannot give from what you do not have. You cannot contribute what you do not carry, 
and you cannot pass on what you do not possess. We can't give you this because we don't have it. Uh, Pretty simple. But do you know what? So many of us try to give what we don't actually have. And we have burnout. We have this emotional stuff going on because we're trying to give what we don't have. This is a principle. You can't give what you don't have. We're trying to do stuff out of our own strength. We're trying to give from stuff we don't have. We're trying to replenish people when we don't even have stuff ourselves. You can't give out of what you don't have. But the opposite is also true. You can give what you do have. And we saw in Acts chapter 2 that these disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. They had been given power. Is my top end? Can you knock that back? Filled with the Spirit, and then they could give from that. You can't give what you don't have, but you can give what you do have. He says there, silver and gold we do not have, but what we do have, I'll give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. So I don't have that, but I do have this. And you know what? You don't need that. This is what you actually need. I wonder at times if we don't give Because we don't realize what we actually carry. Do you know what you carry? When the Spirit of God is in you, do you know what you carry? Do you know what is inside of you? The same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead lives in you. I can't give you this, but what I do have, I'll give you. In the name of Jesus, get up. In the name of Jesus, get up. You know, that's a good one for parents. When your kids are sleeping in, just command them to get up in Jesus' name. And if they have an issue with that, take them to Acts chapter 3. Highlight that. They start calling DCP. Just be like, no, that's biblical. Get up and walk. (laughs) But he says, I don't have that, but this is what we've got. We've got the power of God we got the power of God. Here's what I want to say to us. The church is on mission and we've been empowered with the Spirit of God. You have been given power. Anyone else ask the question, where is the supernatural power of God? Because when I read this book, when I read this story, when I read what takes place in here, power, supernatural power is pretty important. It plays a pretty big part in what takes place. You have been given power. The difference in this power is it's not the power of the world. It's the power of God. The power of the world, you use that to dominate people. The power of God comes to liberate people. The church has been known for the abuse, the misuse of power. It's about time that the church got known for the proper use of God's power to bring liberation, to set the captive free, to bring healing and restoration. You have been given power. This is not the message for the pastor. This is not the message for the person sitting next to you. Yes, it is, but it's also the message for you. There is power within you. If the Spirit of God is in you, there is power. Now, my experience might tell me something different, but I'm believing God's Word that when People pray when they, when, when they call on the name of Jesus. There is power in that. There is power in Jesus' name. 
There is power in the Holy Spirit. There is power. And, and, and the church has got to tap into that again. Come on. We've got to start to tap back into the power of God. To tap into the power. That, that, that it's not just about what we can do in the natural. While that is important, there is supernatural power available. We're hearing testimonies of people being healed. Healed of cancer. We had in our encounter night on Monday night, he brought a report, a doctor's report, outlining two tumors that, that were in his pancreas that had been healed. I think that deserves a round of applause. <laughs> healed by Jesus. Power. Do you realize what you carry? Do you realize what is flowing through your life? We can't give you silver and gold. What, what gets me about this? He's sitting in front of a whole big gate full of silver and gold. And he's begging for silver and gold. And they're like, we can't give you that. Why? Because the world could give you that. But you don't need what the world need, want, has. You need what Jesus has. He'll give you power. Man, I'm waiting for the day when, when the stories of the power of God moving through people. And guess what? This took place outside of the temple. The miracles aren't just contained to the Sunday gathering. What about when you pray for someone in your workplace? What about when you see healing in the schools, when we hear testimonies of restoration in the schools? When the power of God starts to flow. I was once praying for a lady, and she had a heart condition where her heart flooded. It's called arterial fibrillation, something like that. Fibrillation. I can't say that. I always get stuck on that word. It's like it's the the short term for it is AF, where the heart is like out of rhythm. A fibrillation, whatever it is. Need a doctor. Told you last week. I'm not a, a rocket scientist. I'm a pastor. But anyway, she came forward for prayer in a service, and she was like, Can you, you know, this is out of rhythm, and so we, I'm praying for her, lay hands on her, pray, and just say, God, heal this heart condition. And I had the faith of not even a mustard seed, like maybe a quarter of a mustard seed, when I was praying for it, and I'm praying, and as I'm praying, it stops. Not her heart. That would be a real, real bad testimony. <laughs> but the, the, the beating thing stops and goes back into rhythm. And she's like, wow, it's actually changed. And I'm like, yeah, of course it did. That's what happens when we pray. The faith of half a mustard seed. But I see the power of God moving in someone's life. We were over in India. I went over with Tom uh, the start of last year. And this, man, this is like burnt into my memory. We're at this meeting, and there's people being brought forward for prayer after this meeting. And this family comes forward. And this lady brings this little child. And I don't want to freak anyone out here, but brings this little child and says that the child has been having night terrors. It must have been like two years old or something. And I look at this baby, and there is darkness in its eyes. Its eyes are just like pitch black. And I'm like, what's going on here? I start to, to, to lay hands on this baby, to pray for this baby, and it starts to like, it's almost like there's fire that is burning in its back as I lay hands on this baby. And I start to pray and start to, you know, rebuke whatever it is in there, that whatever's, you know, afflicting this child, 
And as we're praying, the eyes of this child start to change. The power of God starts to bring freedom to this little kid. I don't understand the theology of that, how, how, how this, like, a child gets, like, afflicted like that. But then she brings, you know, after we've prayed for this kid, then another lady comes forward and she's got, like, bruises in, on her arms that are appearing during the night. As she's sleeping, there's these bruises that are coming. She's being afflicted as well, so we pray for that. I'm seeing bruises, like, lift off people's skin as we're praying. You can't, like, you can't argue with me. Because I've seen it. I'm like, I, I, I believe that God was doing this. The next lady comes forward. She's got cancer. We start praying for her. Then another lady comes forward. And uh, it starts to, she, yeah, she says, oh, I'm the mother of this lady and this lady and this lady and the, grand, the grandma, grandmother of this child. I'm like, whoa. This family's got a lot of stuff going on. It turns out that she's into like witchcraft and black magic. And so we're like, okay. We need to lead you to Jesus first. You've got to accept Jesus. He's going to bring freedom. And then all of these other things, we'll deal with those after. But that little baby's eyes, for the next couple of days, that just stuck with me. And I thought to myself, there are so many people trapped in darkness, afflicted by all these different things. Who's going to help them? I don't want to heap guilt on you. I don't want you to you know, feel condemnation, but who is going to help? If we carry the power that can bring freedom, then I'm going to at least try and put myself in the position where that could take place. And for the next couple of weeks, that kid's eyes haunted me. And I remember thinking, no, nah, no, nah, I'm here to bring freedom. Jesus has empowered us to bring freedom. And there is power within you. The power doesn't come from us, it flows through us. It's His power. And, and if I can encourage you, we don't pursue the power, we pursue Jesus. And Jesus fills us with power. And then as we move, we position ourselves, it flows through. Don't chase the power, chase Jesus. Jesus fills us, position yourself and allow Him to flow. But there is power. God has given us power, supernatural power. Here's the next thing that we see, eagerly expecting some money. Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. As he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet and began to walk. Then walking, leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. This line here, verse, uh, chapter, yeah, verse 7, says, Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. He had commanded. The healing actually came when he took him by the hand and helped him. So we've got the power flowing, but there's also the practical. Do you know the church is called to practical works of love? We read last week, Garfield read through Hebrews chapter 10 last week, and it says about not forsaking the gathering of the saints. You know what comes just before that? It says, motivate each other to love and good deeds. That The coming together, the community of faith, there should be a motivation towards good deeds and love. You should come together and stir each other up. The message translation actually says, come up with creative ways of loving people. 
that within life groups, within wherever we're meeting, we're, we're motivating each other for opportunities to love people practically. When Lewin comes in today to share about the school's ministry, you know how practical that is? These guys go in, they cook sausage sizzles, they, they play games with kids. It's super practical stuff that connects people to Jesus. That, that even sometimes without even saying the name Jesus, opens doors, connects people to church, shows that people love. Real practical stuff. Reaches out his hand, helps him up. There is a difference as well between a handout and a hand up. A handout can help, but a handout can also keep someone in a cycle of poverty, can keep someone in a cycle of addiction. A, help up, a hand up is to help them holistically, to, to help deal with the whole being, with what is going on, the situation, to help them up. The church is called to, to be a hand to help the needy, to help those around us, to help them to stand. The practical acts of kindness and love that we've been called to. It's not one or. Well, you've got the power guys over here, and we just move in power. You've got super practical people over here, and we just kind of do practical stuff. It's like the flowing of the two. And Stephen in the book of Acts was, was a prime candidate for this. We see in Acts 6 that he was appointed to, to wait tables to help with the food distribution program. That was his appointing. And then we don't read anything about him serving tables. But we do read that he performed miracles, signs and wonders. He, but hang on a second. He was appointed to, to minister to wait tables. Do you know that often it's the practical that positions you for the power? It's coming in proximity with people, connection with people, serving people that allows God's power to flow through us. Serving, when, when you're filled with the Spirit, serving people positions you in a place where the power of God can move through in such practical ways. We used to do this thing called Lunch in the Park where we go into Weld Square in Northbridge and we do lunch uh, every Sunday for people who were living on the streets. And we were doing this, Trev, you remember this, Robin? We're doing this like for, for a couple of years and we go in every week. And part of it was to feed, much like what we're doing now in Ellenbrook, but also to build relationship. And so we'd go in and we'd take games, we'd take board games, we'd take all sorts of stuff in, take footies, all, all, all sporting stuff. And we'd just you know, have lunch with people who were living on the streets and then we'd play chess with them. We'd get to know them, hear their stories. I remember one time sit, sitting with these two guys who, uh, they, one of them had just come over from New Zealand and he'd lost his job and then he couldn't get access to any kind of uh, government help or anything because he, he'd literally come over, wasn't a citizen. And so he was on the streets. Such a, it, nothing really happened that he had done to make this happen, but he was just found himself in this position. And I remember sitting down with him one week when we, we were there, we were eating, then we were playing chess with him, and uh, you know, listening to his story and asking him about, you know, what's his experience with church? And because he asked why we do what we do. And he goes, Oh, I kind of know God's there, but he's around the corner. And I'm just walking in my own direction. 
week after week after week after week we go, we build a relationship, we get to know these guys, we become friends. Not, it's not just like we're serving you now. It's like we have relationship with friends. We value you. You matter to us. Uh, and they, these two guys, they, they start volunteering in a soup kitchen in the city because they've been helped so much. They're like, we want to help other people. And the soup kitchen is connected to a church. And the church, they start going to the church. And they eventually become Christians. They, they encounter Jesus, give their lives to him. And then they start serving. And we invite them one time to come to church and share their story of how practical acts of kindness all around them led them to this. I was in Geraldton a couple of months back and uh, we met a guy who had been connected, John and uh, Tom. We met met this guy who had been uh, connected to a church in Geraldton, Sun City Church. And uh, him and his wife had gone through this huge drug addiction. They had three kids. Three of those kids were in care, in DCP care, because they, they just couldn't look after them. And his story was like, we, we, we were just absolute messes. And then one day we were so low, we went to a church feeding program, and we went and got food. And then we kept coming back, and they built relationship. And he says that, you know, he started to ask the question, why do these people care about me? I don't even care about myself. Why are they taking an interest in me? And he's telling us this story you know, of how he, he's come from this place of, of absolute brokenness, absolute addiction. And how it was the church that kind of took interest. Christians were, you know, didn't write him off, but actually wanted to help him, wanted to love him. And so then he becomes a Christian. His wife becomes a Christian. They then get back together. They go through a, a rehabilitation program for couples. And now they're getting their children back. He's telling us this story. He says, that, you know, I've never, ever, ever had money before. Remember? Massive debt. And now I've been able to pay off that debt. And we have savings for our first deposit on a house. And you trace back, this guy, this guy mattered to God. He mattered enough to God to, to, to mobilize people, all different people, to reach into his life and give him opportunity to, to find hope. And that then changes generations. Those kids that, that, that had been you know, neglected and broken now have an opportunity for life. Practical, so practical. The church is called to this, this, this ministry of help, to this ministry of, of helping people. Not just contained to the Sunday, just sitting, watching, listening, but being active and moving. The last thing in there, as we read there, it says, All the people saw him walking and heard him praising. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They'd seen him so often sitting in that same position and then something happens and they're like whoa remember at the start the guys called out this guy called out to peter and john and he got their attention now jesus has got their attention because of what 
took place. Now Jesus has got the attention of everyone else. They're like, whoa, what's going on? They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Peter saw his opportunity and he addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected his holy, righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life. Pretty, that's pretty intense conversation right there. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses to this fact. We are witnesses to this. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. We see the power, we see the practical, and now we see the proclamation. The church is here to proclaim Jesus. Jesus, it's, it, it, they're like, well, you're surprised by this, but the God of our ancestors, the one that you crucified, it's in his name, it's by his power that this man has been healed. Peter saw the opportunity to share Jesus, to proclaim Jesus. You know, the church is also a place where, where we get to proclaim the goodness of God, where we get to tell people about Jesus. Power moving, the practical, but the proclamation, where we get to tell people it's Jesus that's doing this. It's Jesus that's done the work. It's Jesus that's saving lives. It's Jesus that transformed. It's Jesus. We are called to proclaim Jesus. And you know, you can do that through your story, through telling what God has done in your life, what God is doing in your world, by proclaiming, pointing to Him. Because the power, the miracles, the practical, the, the service, they're, they're not, the, they're not the, the whole thing by themselves. They're just signposts to point people to the glory of God. To show people that Jesus is there, that Jesus is real, that Jesus is moving. To proclaim Jesus to the world. Why church? Job's not finished. There's still work to do. Why do we gather? To empower us for the mission. To release us, to equip us, to, to send us out into this world to bring the light and the life of Jesus into this world. Why do we get together? For the same purpose. There's going to be an encouraging, a motivating, a stirring toward good, toward good deeds and love. So that when we leave this place, we take the good news. And we become people who help people connect with Jesus. Why church? Job's not finished. We've still got work to do. And if you're here this morning and you are a Christian, you, you, you follow Jesus, you've got work to do. It will look different to each of us. It might be a, a totally different sector, sphere to each of us, but each of us has something that we are called to do. In my sermon preparation this week, I watched a movie. I usually watch like YouTube clips, movies, 
basketball highlights as part of my sermon. Preparation. Keeps me focused. But I watched a movie about uh, a guy called Desmond Doss. Anyone heard of Desmond Doss before? You probably know the movie. Desmond Doss was a man who was, um, he was called a conscientious objector. And uh, he was, uh, in America, he didn't want to carry a gun. He did, it was against his, he was a Christian. It was against his beliefs to, to uh, hurt someone, to kill someone. And so he was a conscientious objector, wasn't to carry a gun. And uh, during World War II, he enlists to the, the army to join the military. And he joins the military as someone that is not going to carry a gun, is not going to kill someone. And through his training, he's mocked. They made it real difficult for him. They tried to, to, to get him to leave. They tried to get him to quit because the thought was, we're going to war and you're not going to carry a gun. You're not going to kill someone. What if someone's trying to kill us? Like, you're, you're weak. You, you, you can't be a part of this. And he was like, convict. He was like, I'm not carrying a gun, but I'm not going to kill people anyway. I'm going to save people. My faith won't let me, but I want to be there. And so he comes to this place in, in this war uh, called Hacksaw Ridge. Seen the movie? Makes more sense now, doesn't it? But there's this, there's this fighting that goes on between the Americans and the Japanese, and uh, so many people are like injured and killed. And it gets to the point where the whole, that whole squad, the American squad, they withdraw and they climb down from this big, huge ridge. But he gets left up there. And uh, he, he gets to this point where he's like, he's in the military to save people. And there's this point in the movie, this is why I use the sermon prayer. I'm trying to holy lies myself here. But where, where he has this thought, where he's, you know, there, there, there's all this stuff going on around him. There's these explosions and there's people dying and there's, there's people injured. And his whole platoon is leaving. And he has this moment where he asks God, what am I here for? We'll play that video. Understand. I can't hear you.
He's like, I can't hear you. I don't know what, what, what to do. And then he hears the cries from the injured, the wounded, the dying. And he runs into the battlefield. And I'm watching that. And I'm like, we, we get stuck in this thing. I can't hear what God's calling me to. I don't know what he's calling me to. But the voices of the broken cry out. The voices of the lost cry out. And I'm like, will I strap that armor on and run into that brokenness, that battlefield to save one? And his story goes on that he then saved 72 people. He gets them back to the ridge lowers them down the ridge one by one by one, just runs back into the field. The wounded, those who, are, who have got no chance, they're just left there. Runs, grabs one, carries them back, lowers them down. After, one after the other, after the other, after the other. The one who was called the coward then becomes the hero. And I watched that movie and I was like, man, that is what we're called to to go into the battlefield and to help someone find Jesus. To go into the, the mess, the brokenness, and to help just carry one back, to help connect one. We've been called. You've been equipped. You've been given power. And now it's time to walk in that. As the church decommissions itself from what God has called them to, today I feel like God is calling us back to His commission to go into the world, preach the gospel, make disciples, reach people for Jesus. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.